Uh, if you have a Bible, open it up. But let's read James chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Toward the end of last year, I naively thought we were coming to the end of COVID. Uh, there were no cases, restrictions were easing, things were opening up. Well, all of that is now long gone. And this latest lockdown, we've been in it for quite a while. And uh, there's at least another month or two. And what ha happens after that? Uh, well, we'll have to wait and see. But it has been a very long drawn out trial. It's uh, been probably a more frustrating trial than, than a painful one, uh, but a trial nonetheless. Uh, this whole pandemic, it's, it's actually been challenging for all of us in many very different ways. And so I thought before I launch into the next sermon series that it would be good to, uh, for us to just stop and refocus, uh, to get some perspective on this situation that we're in and especially how we handle this frustrating time. And I want to be as practical as, as I possibly can be, which means turning to the book of James. Uh, James is such a practical book. Uh, James is a book about what faith looks like in practice. And in the opening 12 verses of James, he tells us how to face trials like this pandemic in the right way. And so in this passage, there are three parts to it. Uh, first, we see the benefits of facing trials in verses 2 to 4. Uh, second, we see how to obtain that benefit in verses 5 to 11. And third, we, we see the hope that will keep us going in trials, uh, persevering to the end. So first, let's look at the benefit, the benefits of facing trials in verses 2 to 4. So it says here in verse 2, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now notice James says, he doesn't say if you face a trial, James says when you face trials. So it's a given that we will face trials, that they're part of living in a fallen world that's under the curse of sin. And so being a Christian doesn't spare you of trials. After all, we, f we follow the man of sorrows who was familiar with grief. So we all face trials, that's a given. And James's original readers, if 
if you read through the letter, you'll realize that they were going through all kinds of trials themselves. So James helps them deal with uh, poverty. Uh, he helps them deal with injustice, conflict, sickness and grief. But James doesn't limit the command in verse 2 to, to those specific trials, but he leaves it wide open. He says when you meet trials of various kinds. So any trial can fit into this category. So things like illness, loneliness, uh, losing a loved one, caring for someone who is difficult, getting an injury, losing your job, getting left out of your circle of friends, having to do school on Zoom, uh, conflict at home, conflict at work, annoying neighbors, parenting a difficult child, being single and wishing you were married. And so all of these things I've just said, they have another layer of difficulty when you're in a pandemic like the one we're in now. And it makes all of these trials more difficult. But what are these? These are trials of various kinds. So this is what James is addressing here. But the big shock of verse two is not that we face trials like this, but the big shock is the fact that James says, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds. How can trials have anything to do with joy? I mean, the very definition of a trial is that there is no joy in it, that they're frustrating, that they're painful. Uh, there's nothing in and of a trial itself that causes joy. So how can James say, count it all joy when you meet a trial? Well, notice that he does say, count it all joy. Count is a thinking word. Uh, other translations use the word consider, consider it pure joy when you face a trial. So James, is, he's telling us how to think about trials. He's telling us that we need to think about our trials in a certain way. And by doing that, we will, that will bring joy. So what should we be thinking? Well, he explains in verses three to four, the reason you should have joy in trials is because, or for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So here we see that you can and you should have joy in your trials because of two things. Because there is a purpose to them, verse 3, and there is a goal in them, verse 4. A purpose and a goal. So what is the purpose of trials? Well, verse 3 says that they test your faith. They test your faith. Now, the Apostle Peter uses that same, uh, he has that same explanation at the start of his first letter, um, but he actually uses the picture of a furnace, a furnace that is so hot that when you put gold into it, the gold melts and everything that is not gold, all the impurities are burned up so that as a result, the gold is refined. It becomes pure, perfect. So everything that's not gold is burned up. And that's what trials are like. Uh, trials test our faith and only real faith can stand the test. Uh, if it's not real faith, it's burned up by the trial. And that's why sometimes you meet people who, who say they used to be, believe in God and used to go to church, but then something really bad happened and they just chucked it all in. Uh, what happened? Their faith didn't stand the test. Uh, because it wasn't real faith. 
And there's another side to this testing, as we see here in verse 2, uh, verse 3, that not only do trials prove whether your faith is real, but at the same time they strengthen your faith. Because James says, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So steadfastness, that's the ability to stand up under trial, to, when it's hard, to stand firm. So trials test and strengthen faith. That's their purpose. And that purpose then leads to a goal, as we see in verse 4. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So what does that mean? What does it mean to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing? It means that steadfastness in suffering will turn you into a better version of you. Steadfastness in suffering will turn you into a better version of you. So think about that. What is a better version of you? A better version of you is you, but more like Jesus. That's what James is talking about. It's you, but, but more patient, a more patient version of you. Uh, like the patience of Jesus. It's, it's you, but more considerate of others. Uh, it's you, but more kind, selfless, wise, honest, faithful. Uh, it's you, more pure, more humble, a more forgiving person, a more courageous person. That's what it means to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So it's you, it's you becoming more like Jesus. And that is the goal of enduring trials. And this is very helpful because often in a trial, we actually ask, why is this happening to me? Or we might ponder, you know, what is good, God's good purpose in this trial? Uh, what, what is the good that God is bringing out of it? And here we have an answer. God is making you like his son. That's why this is happening. That's God's good purpose for you in trials. And so what we see here in this, this passage is that the way that trials function in the life of a believer is very similar to the way uh, physical training functions in the life of an athlete. So we just had the Olympic Games recently. And if you watched the sprinters, uh, you would have seen those sprinters all lining up on the starting line. And when you see them there looking extremely fit, what you're seeing is the end result of a very long and painful process of physical training. Each of those sprinters for the last five or more years have been putting themselves every day through the trial of physical training. So they did strength training, cardio, nutrition, extremely disciplined, could not slacken off at one moment. Now, why would they do that? Why would they put themselves through all that pain? Because they have a purpose and because they have a goal. The purpose is to strengthen their bodies or to strengthen and test their bodies. The goal is to be the absolute best they can possibly be. To be, as James says, perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And then hopefully that will win them the gold medal. But with that purpose and with that goal, a, a real athlete will count it all joy to do the training, even though it's extremely hard. And in the same way, that's how trials function in the life of a believer. When they come, it's like God is taking you and putting you into the gym uh, to exercise and to strengthen your faith. And so faith it grows in a similar way that your muscles grow. It grows through applying pressure. 
And so in your trials, as you exercise your faith in God, as you cling to him, as you trust his promises, as you obey his word, then what happens is your faith grows stronger. You grow stronger. You become more like Jesus. And so that means that the principle that athletes live by in life needs to be the principle that we live by. No pain, no gain. You can't achieve your fitness goals by lounging about and eating whatever you like, whenever you like, unfortunately. And the same is true in all of life. You can't grow as a believer by just living for comfort and ease. Uh, it's no pain, no gain. Now, that doesn't mean we should go out looking for trials, um, but what it does mean is that we need to have the right mindset and exercise faith when trials do come. See, there's nothing fun about a trial, nothing fun at all. But when you think about the purpose and the goal of trials, uh, that is a cause for joy. This is how God gets us into shape. Uh, this is how he makes us more like his son. And counting on that will enable you to face them with courage and with hope rather than going into bitterness and despair. So that's the benefit of facing trials. You become more like Jesus. Well, next we learn here how to get that benefit. How to get that benefit. That's in verses 5 to 11. Because anyone who has had any experience with trials, which we all have lately, uh, we will know that everything I've just said is all great in theory, but very hard to practice. This obviously doesn't happen automatically. It's not like a trial comes and automatically you grow through it. Uh, you might even know some people who have gone through some trial and it hasn't made them mature and complete, but it has made them angry and bitter. And perhaps that's what happens to you when you go through trials. Um, maybe you've found yourself even growing more grumpy and more cynical the longer this pandemic goes on. And so how do you actually practice this? How do you grow in steadfastness? How do you actually take hold of this so that the trial does produce uh, or make you more like Jesus? How do you do it? Now, how are we going to make sure that when we do get to the other side of the pandemic, God willing, that we will actually come out the other end looking more like Jesus in our character? How do we do that? Well, the answer James gives is you need wisdom. And we see this in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. So why wisdom? Why is wisdom the most important thing when it comes to facing a trial? Well, think about it. How clear is your perspective when you're in the thick of some difficulty and completely stressed out about it? How clear is your perspective then? When are you most likely to make rash, dumb decisions? It's when you're suffering. It's when you're under enormous pressure. Uh, that's, why, uh, that's what we mean by saying someone who is suffering is vulnerable. And so what you need to benefit from a trial, you need wisdom from God. The ability to think clearly, the ability to think and act well under complex situations. That's what wisdom is. It's knowing how to, to navigate life God's way. And in this context, we see that wisdom is actually knowing how to think and act in a trial so that you will benefit from it, so that you'll grow through it. Uh, so wisdom from God is the key. Well, how do you get that wisdom? 
It's pretty simple, you ask. You pray for it. It's what verse 5 says. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. And that alone is pretty radical because when trials come, virtually everyone prays in a trial. Um, but what do we pray for when a trial comes? We pray for relief. We pray that God will take it away. But what we actually see here, we're actually a whole lot better off in the long run if along with praying for relief, we actually pray for the wisdom to be able to think and act in a way that we will handle the trial well, that we will be steadfast in it. That will be far more beneficial to us in the long run. But we need to pray for it. We need to ask God and have a look at how eager God is for us to have this wisdom. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, you know, without finding fault, and it will be given him. You can't get a more straightforward promise than that. Ask, and it will be generously given to you. God will lavish it on you. However, there is one qualification, which James outlines in verses 6 to 8, and it Essentially, he's saying you can't doubt. You can't ask God and uh, doubt. He, he says in uh, verses 6 to 8 that if you doubt, you won't receive wisdom from God, even if, if you ask for it. So what does he mean by doubting then? Well, he tells us, he explains, uh, he defines it in verse 8, uh, where James says about the doubter, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So double-minded... That means someone who has divided loyalties. Uh, the doubter who is double-minded is someone who says they believe in God, and yet they're more loyal to things other than God. So as an example, it's like when Jesus said, you cannot serve both God and money. Okay, that's a divided loyalty. That's double-mindedness. Uh, and uh, that's actually the example James uses in verses 9 to 11, uh, where he exposes the emptiness of riches compared to the exalted position that a lowly believer has in Christ. Um, but this is how it works. If something like money uh, functions as your real God, if that's the thing you're actually depending on, if that's your real loyalty, then if you're in a trial and you ask for wisdom, you're not going to get it because you're actually not depending on God. You're not looking to Him. And so you can't receive wisdom if you have divided loyalties because wisdom from God only makes sense when God is at the center of your life, when you are single-mindedly devoted to Him. That's why Proverbs states right at the beginning, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You have to start with God. And that's why if you're someone who loves comfort, and, and living a, a comfortable and easy life, if you love that more than you love serving the Lord, well, you'll never grow under a trial. You'll never grow because of a divided loyalty. The love of comfort is a higher priority than your love of God. And so the, the only way you're going to grow is repentance. It's actually repenting of that and becoming single-minded in your loyalty to God. And I think we all have room for that. In Australia, we, we live in such a comfortable nation, uh, even in this pandemic. You know, talk to people and they go, at least it's not like it was with the Spanish flu. You, know, you couldn't even ring your friends back then. 
or have a look at what's going on in other countries. And so we live in a very comfortable nation and so it's very easy for us to value comfort and to value ease more than we value serving the Lord. But we won't grow if we're doing that. But here we see trials. They are the context in which we grow. But to benefit from them, you need the wisdom from God that enables you to think and to act in the right way, to, to grow in steadfastness. And God gives it to those who first commit themselves to him and ask for it in faith. He guarantees it to those who commit themselves to him. And so this is actually very practical stuff. Here we see that this is something that you can begin to do right now, today. You know, today, just think about what is, what is it, something about this pandemic that's frustrating you or something that's causing you grief. Uh, start praying about it. Start asking God to give you the wisdom to know how to deal with that. Uh, the wisdom to, to examine the way you are responding and to turn from things that are, are not helping you. You pray that you would see this as an opportunity for your faith to be exercised and strengthened uh, and then commit yourself to living God's way in it. In fact, we ought to make this prayer for wisdom part of our daily routine. Uh, this is something we ought to be praying for one another, uh, especially at this time. Uh, be that person who brings this positive perspective to the lockdown. Uh, don't add to all the grumbling. Ask each other, how are you going? And then ask this, what is God teaching you at this time? What are you learning about yourself? How are you growing uh, through this lockdown? So we've seen the benefit of trials. <clears throat> we've seen how to obtain that benefit through prayer. But finally, we see in this passage, the hope that will keep us going. The hope that will keep us going in our trials. And that's in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So the hope in our trials is that there is an end to them. And more than that, at the end, James says that the one who remains steadfast receives the crown of life. The crown of life. Now, normally when we think of a crown, we think of a gold thing with um, pointy bits on it and lots of gems and other little fancy bits and pieces. But when James readers read this, they would have instantly thought not about a, a crown on a king's head, but rather the laurel wreath that is given to the winner of an athletics game. And that's actually how Paul uses uh, the image of a crown in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, where he says, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. So that's the same idea that James is talking about. And that's actually a perfect picture that sums up what life is really like. You know, life is one big, long and difficult race. Uh, it's the ultimate marathon. James says in verse 12 here that it is the test, the test of life. He's talking about all of life and to remain steadfast to Jesus in this race over the long haul, that is hard. You know, not only is it a narrow path, but there are uh, many hurdles along the way. And some of it goes through some very deep, dark valleys. And along the way, it's tempting to give up and head off to the highway of complaining, despair and bitterness. So what will keep you running on this narrow path? 
what will keep you going in faithfulness to God? It's the same thing that keeps a marathon going whenever he or she just feels like giving up. What is it? The finish line. The thought of the finish line. There is a finish line. And the good news is not only is there a finish line, but there is a prize at the end. There's a crown to everyone who remains steadfast in joyful dependence on God. There is a crown, but it's not just any crown. It's the crown of life. The crown of life is eternal life. So that's a great incentive. But what is the guarantee that will keep, keep you? What is the guarantee that you will actually make it? What is the guarantee that you will cross that line as a winner and receive the crown? I mean, if you've got to remain steadfast to God the whole way, then what happens if you give up? What happens if you lose your way along the race? Uh, What guarantee do you have that you will get there? I mean, what if the next trial that you face in your life is so big and so painful that you, you give up? Or maybe you haven't remained steadfast so far in life. Maybe you have given up already. Uh, Maybe you've become angry and bitter at at something that God put you through. So how do you get up and keep going? How do you remain steadfast? How can you be sure that you'll get to the end, cross the line and receive the crown? Well, there's only one guarantee and it's found in Jesus. So you have a look at the way Hebrews 12 explains this. It says, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. See, what Hebrews is saying is that Jesus suffered the ultimate trial that we were meant to suffer. Uh, Jesus endured the cross Okay, that was the race that was marked out for him. It's what we should be going through. What the cross was all about, receiving God's eternal wrath for sin. Jesus didn't do anything to deserve that. He went through hell, not because he deserved it, but because we deserve it. See, Jesus endured the ultimate trial in your place. And Hebrews says that Jesus counted it all joy to go through that trial. He did it with joy, not because it was fun, not because it was easy, but because in it there was a purpose and a goal. And central to that purpose and goal was your eternal salvation. That's why Jesus endured it. He did it for you. And see, that's the only reason and the only guarantee that you will make it to the end. It's the only reason and the only guarantee that you will finally cross the line as a winner and receive that crown of eternal life. It's because Jesus ran the race for you, remained steadfast and completed it and has won salvation for all who trust in him. And see, that's our hope. That's our hope to keep going. Why can we remain steadfast to Jesus? Because he's already won it for us. All that we have to do now is keep our eyes fixed on him, as Hebrews says. But see, this crown, it's not for everyone. The crown of life is not given to everyone. James says that the crown of life that Jesus won is only given, it's only promised to those 
who love God. That is, it's only for those who are in a right relationship with God, for those who are not trying to earn their acceptance with God, but rather those who are living out of single-minded loyalty to God, out of love for what he has done for them in the cross. And so if you're not trusting in Jesus today, that's what you need to do first. You need to come to Christ, put your trust in him. And so we see in this passage, God wants us to live out our faith. He wants our faith to be strengthened, to, to grow. He wants us to become more like his son. That's his purpose for us. See, we see in this passage, the goal of life is not that we would live in just pleasure and pain free. The goal of life is that we would be conformed to the likeness of Jesus, that we would be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And since trials are the training ground for that to happen, then every trial, including this pandemic, has a purpose and a goal. And therefore, every trial, no matter how painful, can be endured with joy because of what God is doing in that trial. So may God strengthen you. May he enable you to run the race with joy, keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus.